Welcome to the Dark Whales Tours podcast. On this podcast, we would explore the vast history of Wales, looking at the myths, legends and ghosts of this magical and mystical country. Wales has been the heart of Britain's supernatural beliefs for many centuries. And in this special episode, we will be looking at a celebration that has been passed down to us from our Celtic ancestors. They called it Samhain, which translates as summer's end. The Welsh, we call it Nos Galangeaf, commonly translated to the first night of winter, but it is more commonly known as Halloween. We will be looking at how Halloween celebrations have changed over the centuries and how they compare with similar celebrations in other cultures from the past to the present. We will also look into the history of some of the more common games that are played during this time of year and how they've evolved into what we know today. Unlike many of the Celtic beliefs and festivals, this celebration has survived to the present day, mostly intact. Halloween was one of the most important Celtic celebrations, being the time when the farmers would finish their harvest, solely as return from war to rest, and the cycle of the year would begin again. This was the Celtic New Year, celebrated from sunset to sunrise. The Celtic celebrations would be overseen by the Druids, the Celtic High Priests. They would make sure the right sacrifices were made, the correct offerings were given, and that everyone in the community would have a share of the bounty. This was also the time of year that the veil between the worlds was said to be at its thinnest. The Celts believed that the spirits of the other world would be able to walk among the living during this most sacred night. Even after the Romans defeated the Celtic people, this festival still endured and became associated with two festivals of Roman origin, which were combined with the traditional Celtic celebration of Samhain. The first was Feralia, a day in late October when the Romans traditionally commemorated the passing of the dead. The second was a day to honour Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. When the Romans left and the empire fell, the Celts returned to their ancient festival and maintained the significance of this time of year. Such was the importance of the festival of Samhain that in the 8th century, instead of erasing it completely, Pope Gregory III decreed that All Saints' Day and All Souls' Day would be moved from the spring to the autumn in order to coincide with the Celtic festival, which would be renamed All Hallows' Eve, or Hallows' Tide, which eventually became Halloween. One of the Celtic traditions that survives to this day is one that many of us participates in during this time of year. The tradition of dressing up in costumes and masks in order to pretend to be someone or something we are not. This custom came from the belief that in order to be safe from the ghosts and spirits roaming the earth during this night, and if you ventured out of your home, you would have to disguise yourself by wearing a mask to hide your face and a costume to walk among the dead undetected. This in fact started out as a very serious safety measure with strict rules to be followed but has since evolved into the idea that we have today where we can dress up and be whoever or whatever we want to be, at least 
for one night. There are many other traditions and customs of the ancient Celts that survived only in the mystical land of Wales. These range from single women trying to find out who their future spouse would be, to the more bizarre act of a man dressed up as a black pig chasing children to the safety of their homes. Nos Galangef in Wales was a festival for the whole community. It was a time when everyone would return home, either from farming or from war, and people would celebrate another year on this earth. They would offer gifts to the gods and also sacrifice some of their livestock that would be unlikely to survive the coming winter months. As a community, they would also engage in spells and magic in order to determine who would survive this coming year. This included the ritual of Coilcuth, which translates as bonfire. At the start of the evening, everyone in the village would write their names on a stone and throw it into the communal bonfire that would be lit at dusk and would be allowed to burn until dawn. At sunrise, when the bonfire was extinguished, the stones would be gathered up and if any names were missing, those were the people that would die during the coming year. During the night, the community would engage in other, stranger customs. The ritual of the Black Sow, or in Welsh, the Hoch de Gwitta, is a Halloween version of the Welsh Christmas tradition that will be discussed in detail in our Christmas episode. The Hoch de Gwitta, however, was a man dressed in an animal hide, or a simple black cloth. He would lay down among the dead animals and pretend to be one of the pigs that had been slaughtered during the festivities. The children of the village would then be gathered around the pile and the man would rise up pretending to be a real pig coming back to life. The Hoch de Gwitta would then chase the children around the village trying to capture them. The only way they would avoid capture would be to run to the safety of your house and get into bed or else the Hoch de Gwitta would take your soul to hell. This bizarre and terrifying ritual seems to have had a very practical purpose. It was a very imaginative way to tell the children it was time for bed, because the custom was based on a monster in Welsh mythology. Hoch de Gwitta in myth was a large black pig without a tail that would be accompanied by a headless woman that would roam the countryside together terrifying anyone who came upon them and claiming their souls to take back to hell with them. Another Welsh custom was that of Ayorthweg Dalen. This told you that touching or smelling ground ivy caused you to see hags or witches while you slept. However, ivy could also be useful if used properly. In order to see into the future, boys were told to cut ten leaves of ivy, throw one away and put the rest under their pillows. For girls seeing the future, was a much more rigorous process. They had to grow a rose, train it around a large hoop, then slip through the hoop three times before cutting the rose and placing it under their pillow when they went to bed that night. The harmless entertainment that is played out on Halloween has its roots in the divination rituals that the ancient Celts would perform so they could work out who would survive the coming winter. The classic bobbin for apple game that people play 
during this time of year, for example, could come from this time. The tradition says that the person who did not catch an apple wouldn't make it through the coming year. During the festival, if you peeled an apple in one single piece and then threw the peel over your shoulder, the letter of the alphabet it most closely resembled when it hit the ground was said to be the first letter of the first name of the person you were going to marry. Apples have always related to health and happiness. It was even said to take a bite out of an apple is to take a bite out of life itself. So synonymous is the apple with life and health that it is identified as the forbidden fruit from the Garden of Eden that God told Adam and Eve never to eat. In the story, the devil, disguised as a snake, tempts Eve to eat the apple, who in turn gives it to Adam, thus enraging God and causing their banishment from the garden. There was another custom that the Welsh performed over Nosgall and Gaeth, the Harvest May. The Harvest May were cornstalks that were fashioned into the shape of a horse and hung above the hearth. However, the women of the house would try and prevent this happening by soaking it with water, and it was the men's job to try to get it inside still dry. As Christianity became more influential, these rituals endured, albeit in a theatrical way. But some rituals were merely adapted and continued to be performed, especially in Wales. For example, if a young woman wanted to know the name of their future husband, then she would carry an empty sheath while walking around the church, symbolically chanting, Here is the sheath, where is the knife? When she arrived at the church door, she would hear a voice coming from the other side, calling out the name of her future husband. If, however, she wanted to see the face of the man she would marry, then she would darken her room and look into the mirror. The face of her future husband was supposed to materialize behind her. If, however, a skull was to appear, it meant she would die before the year was out. It was later said, however, that you should not look at your reflection in a mirror on Halloween night, as this would cause you to see witches and demons in your sleep, and it would become a gateway for them, a way for them to make their way out of hell and onto this earth. This has evolved in recent decades, especially among American teenagers. It is said that looking into a mirror and reciting Bloody Mary three times will summon the dreaded and vengeful spirit of Mary, whose identity differs from story to story. The result of this ritual is, however, agreed upon, that Mary will appear and start a killing spree covered in her victim's blood. So just be very careful what you say when you stood near a mirror this Halloween, and also check that the reflection looking back at you is indeed your own. Mirrors have actually played an important part in various beliefs and cultures across the world, as they are said to be portals and gateways to the other world. In the Jewish faith, for example, mirrors are covered up after a death to prevent a soul from getting trapped inside. A later tradition told people to avoid churchyards, stiles and crossroads completely during Halloween night, as it was in these places that the spirits of the dead and demons would gather 
and hunt for the living. Another tradition involving the church was for a young man to walk backwards around the church wearing his shirt inside out. As he was going around he would be reciting the Lord's Prayer backwards. This he would do three times and on his third and final circuit he would look into the church through the keyhole of the door where he would see coming towards him phantom figures of the living, those who were soon to die in the coming year. However, he could prevent their deaths if he plugged the keyhole with his finger and waited until dawn. Another Halloween tradition that has survived for the modern day is a popular practice that has become known as trick-or-treat. This started out as poor people who would visit the houses of wealthier families and receive pastries called soul cakes in exchange for a promise to pray for the souls of the homeowner's dead relatives. This was known as souling, and the practice was later taken up by children who would go from door to door asking for gifts such as food, money and ale. In Scotland and Ireland, young people took part in a tradition called guising, dressing up in costume and accepting offerings from the households within the village. Instead of the children offering prayers for the dead, they would sing a song recite a poem, tell a joke, or perform another sort of trick before collecting their treat, which typically consisted of fruit, nuts, or coins, and then, of course, later, chocolate and sweets. The idea of leaving food as offerings for the dead dates from the ancient Egyptians, who would invite their dead into their homes for a feast to honour them. This would consist of actually having the corpse of the relative sat at the table with the family. Honouring the dead is also a key aspect of the Mexican holiday that is often quite closely associated with Halloween. Dia de Muertos, the Day of the Dead, celebrated on the 2nd of November. This holiday involves families and friends gathering to pray for and remember friends and family members who have died and helping support their spiritual journey. In Mexican culture, death is viewed as a natural part of the human cycle. Mexicans view it not as a day of sadness, but a day of celebration because their loved ones awaken and celebrate with them. Another tradition of Halloween that has evolved over time is the carving of jack-o'-lanterns. Today we associate the pumpkin with this and thanks to largely American advertising the pumpkin has become a key symbol of Halloween. However since the pumpkin is indigenous to America the original choice was actually a turnip. These turnips would have had faces carved into them which would look even scarier than the later pumpkins with a candle put inside. These would have been placed outside the houses in order to light the way for the spirits to find their way back to the land of the dead. In an Irish legend, these were named after a man who tricked the devil. Stingy Jack was a blacksmith who was very lazy. It was said that one day he met Satan and used several crosses to trap him. Jack then told the devil that he would let him go on the condition that Satan would never take his soul. The devil agreed to this and was set free. 
Jack then lived a very sinful life, stealing from his neighbours, lying and cheating his way through life. And when he died, he was too sinful to enter heaven. But since the devil had promised never to take his soul, he was also barred from hell. Jack had nowhere to go and was condemned to wander the earth for all eternity. The devil threw him a piece of coal from the pits of hell to light his way through the world. Jack then carved out a turnip, his favourite food, and then placed a lump of coal inside in order to make a lantern. He became known as Jack of the Lanterns, or Jack-o'-lantern. This custom was taken to America with the Irish due to the mass immigration due to the potato famine in the 19th century. When they arrived, they found that the pumpkin was much more suited for carving and was also bigger so that a better face could be carved. Thus they began to use the pumpkin as the jack-o'-lantern. The legend of the jack-o'-lantern may be a Halloween version of a common ghostly phenomena, sometimes called the will-o'-the-wisp. These are described as balls of light that appear in the midst of darkness, often seen in damp, boggy marshlands, luring innocent travellers into danger and possibly into death. These balls of light have been reported for as long as mankind can remember and from all over the world. Each culture has different names. In Wales they are called Canolf Corf or Corpse Candles and these are discussed in our Death Omens episode. Initially, however, Halloween was not observed in America. Being settled by Puritans who saw it as a celebration of superstition and devil worship, it was much more common in Maryland and the southern colonies. During the next few centuries, the beliefs and customs of different European settlers and the traditions of the native American Indians meshed together, and a distinctively American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebrations included play parties, which were public events held to celebrate the harvest. Neighbours would share stories of the dead, tell each other's fortunes and generally have a party. It was not until the influx of the Irish that America really embraced Halloween and its many customs. Today Americans spend over 6 billion annually on Halloween making it the second largest holiday celebrated, the first being Christmas. In recent years, Halloween has been seen as the perfect time to use Ouija boards and other methods in order to contact the dead and try to summon ghosts. The idea that ghosts can easily be contacted during this night harks back to the belief that the veil between the living and the dead is at its thinnest and thus is the best time to reach the other side. Because of this belief, ghosts have always played a part in Halloween traditions, and another name for Halloween in Wales is Aspridnos, which translates as Spirit Night. From dressing up, to putting images of them around the house, to watching horror films filled with them, ghosts are an essential part of modern Halloween celebrations. The Ouija board that I mentioned has also become the enduring symbol of contacting ghosts and also for summoning demons. Its origins, however, were much more friendly than that. In the 19th century, spiritualism was on the rise. People were conducting seances and trying to contact spirits. 
The popularity of this grew, especially in America, as it did not offend the church. You could conduct a seance on a Saturday night and have no problem going to church the next day. However, gaining messages from the other side could prove quite boring. The idea of having to recite the alphabet repeatedly until you hear a knock for each letter in order to spell out a message could be quite tiresome. The Ouija board offered a quicker way to get these messages, with the alphabet already written down. The spirit could guide the pointer to the correct letters. The original patent for the board states that the board did indeed work, but it doesn't explain how it worked. This was an intentional marketing ploy as the mystery surrounding the board gained the public's interest. The board's success showed that it had tapped into a strange place in the public's imagination, especially in America. It was marketed as both mystical and as family entertainment, fun with an element of otherworldly excitement. This meant that it wasn't only spiritualists who bought the board, in fact, the people who disliked the Ouija board the most tended to be the mediums it is associated with, as the board did the job for them, and people only needed a board in order to contact the dead, so the medium was becoming redundant. The Ouija board appealed to people from all walks of life, because it offered a fun way for people to believe in something. In 1966, Parker Brothers bought the rights to the Ouija board, and in 1967, they sold over 2 million boards, outselling Monopoly boards that year. It wasn't until 1973 that the Ouija board started being viewed as something evil, something capable of summoning demons and potentially the devil himself. The belief was caused by the release of one of the scariest films of the decade, The Exorcist. The film was marketed as based on a true story, and showed how a little girl, after playing with a Ouija board, became possessed by an evil spirit. This idea then spread through the public psyche and changed how people viewed and used the Ouija board, binding it to Halloween and its scary and mysterious customs. Is it really the spirits and demons from the other side influencing the outcomes of such things, or simply a duplicitous participant? It is often said that originally the people playing were indeed influencing the outcomes, but actually through their unconscious minds. It is a debate that has raged on to this very day. The name Ouija is said to come from the board itself. One night, Helen Peters of Baltimore was playing with the board with her brother when she asked it what they should call it. The board spelled out Ouija which she told Helen meant good luck, which seems to be an ominous warning from the board itself. So the customs and traditions of this festival may have changed in meaning, but they are still very much alive. Nosskallengerf is still observed throughout Wales, including in St. Fagan's National Museum of History, where they have hosted a night of crafts, music and folklore to show off the varied customs and traditions of this magical country of Wales. There are some Halloween customs that are still practiced, but not on Halloween night. In England, the customs of lighting bonfires and burning effigies was once practiced on Halloween as a remnant 
of the Celtic past. However, because of the events in 1605, where a group of Catholics tried to blow up the House of Lords with King James inside, the tradition was moved to November the 5th, the date of which the attack was to take place. Bonfires are lit all around the country and effigies are burnt upon it. These are often called the Guy, after Guy Fawkes, the man who oversaw the lighting the fuse of the gunpowder but was caught just in time. Throughout the 20th and 21st centuries, the meaning of Halloween has changed and evolved significantly. From being about all things gothic and macabre to now being a holiday where you can dress up as anything you want. From the traditional witch and vampire to today more commonly superheroes and fairy tale princesses. But be warned, as you don your favourite mask or costume this Halloween, you never know who or what may be walking amongst you on this particularly supernatural night. Do you have your own Halloween customs and traditions? How do you celebrate the coming of winter? If you have your own traditions or stories to share on this or any of the other topics in our podcasts, then please email us on darkwales at hotmail.com. Thank you for joining us for this special Halloween episode of the Dark Wales Tours podcast. Please be sure to visit us on www.darkwalestours.co.uk and also check out our Instagram, Facebook and Twitter feeds for news of our tours that we conduct in various locations around Wales and also for news of more episodes of this podcast. Be sure to listen to the other episodes of this podcast with new episodes being released every two weeks. Until next time, Jochen Vaur, thank you very much and happy Halloween. The Dark Wales Tours podcast is produced and delivered by Matthew Rose 